I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. This week, I have my good friend Tyler Fern back on for the first time this season, this Premier League season, um, talking about Man U and maybe how their season is going and the struggles that they've encountered recently, talk about Liverpool and how they've continued to keep it rolling Uh through three games of the Premier League season, and then talk, go around uh, the league and talk about different teams that have surprised us and uh, different players that have surprised us. Shout out to Timu Puki. And we also give our initial reactions to the Champions League draw yesterday and the craziness that ensued. And I'm talking about Eric Cantona in terms of his really, really weird speech. So tune into that. And, um, yeah, let's give Tyler a call. Hey, it's Tyler. Tyler, thank you for coming back on to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you back on. First time this year for the cha- for soccer talking about uh champions league draw we're going to also talk about uh your thoughts on the premier league season thus far three weeks into the year um so i'm so excited tyler to have you on thanks for coming on man yeah man it's good to be back it's been too long i know um and i think it's kind of an interesting point to bring you on to the podcast especially because i we were trying to get it happening right when man you ended up having that amazing um start to the season against chelsea with their 4-0 victory and then yes. the past couple weeks haven't been as kind to man U fans and players and while i think the excitement of the chelsea game has kind of been this really exciting start to the season it's kind of been a distant memory with the past couple weeks of the season and how Manu's played in terms of and and the results uh resulting from that yeah I wish I would have uh got on the podcast after that first game I would have been in much different spirits (laughs) to say the (laughs) least um but yeah I mean like you said we started out that was exactly what we wanted um, just flying forward and keeping a clean sheet. I mean, that was, it looked like a perfect start. Um, but then a draw to Wolves and a loss to Crystal Palace. Both were really tight games, but we just weren't clinical enough. Obviously, the big drama is the penalty situation with both Pogba and Rashford failing to convert at crucial moments that could have probably sealed three points in each game. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So, like, at this point, who's taking that next penalty? Because I think, I mean, I think the penalty conversation's a little bit more nuanced than who takes the penalty, like, in terms of um, maybe it's 
it being a social part of like who's going to take the leadership um, on this team. And because it's not that they were badly struck penalties, especially the Rashford one. I thought it was a, it was a strong penalty hits off the post and kind of goes out of play. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't a bad penalty. It was maybe a little bit more unlucky, but the narrative is kind of, okay, Pogba misses the first one. Now, now Rashford misses that second one. Do they just kind of go down the line and go to Martial or are they going to, are, are they giving one of those two guys an, another chance? Yeah, so apparently uh, Solskjaer came out and said that it's up to the players within a group of, like, five players that he didn't directly identify. He said it's up to them on the field to decide who's in the mood or who wants to take it. And while that does have some, like, there are some pros to that because in a team like United where we've been struggling with um, morale and sort of the the pressing room morale and the vibes in the team, I can see wanting to keep the star players sort of hungry at the chance of trying to get more goals and see who's in the zone that day. Um, But obviously the cons are if it doesn't go right, if they don't go in, then it starts to look like we don't have a plan, we aren't confident, and that it's just sort of whoever steps up um, at the day. So if it were me at this point, um, I would keep Rashford on them and have only Rashford be on them. Um, most penalty takers miss a few in their careers. Rashford's still very young, um, and he's got clearly got great technique from a dead ball. Um, so, yeah, like you said, that was inside of the post. It was very close, uh, whereas Pogba's was pretty much right at the height that you you as a keeper would want to see um, to be able to save it. And that didn't look as confident. Um, so, yeah, if it was up to me, I would I would scratch the plan of whoever's feeling up for it, and I would just say, look, from now on, we're just going to have Rashford take him. That's that. Yeah, and I think it's a little – like, at this point, you kind of have to be a little bit more, I would say, concrete in the plan that you go with in terms of the PK. PK situation, especially with ha- with the result results and how it's kind of gone uh, for the past two penalties. Like, I think Solskjaer has to co- kind of come out there and say, all right, we're going to just give the penalties to whether it be Pogba or whether it be Rashford, choose one guy and let them, let them take the penalties until they've proven otherwise. And... I mean, although I think Ra- – and I think it would be smart to kind of give it to Rashford just because he's one of those young players. You don't want him to lose confidence after missing one penalty, especially a penalty right. where it was a little bit more unlucky. I would give it to Rashford again and let him try to take it and see what ends up happening from there. Yeah, I agree. And the important thing to note, though, is that well, that's the drama that everyone's talking about, and that's the focus, and it's obviously going to be, you know, in the headlines and all that. At the end of the day, the margins are so thin in the Premier League that those re- those dropped points are really costing us already. Like, the fact that 
Liverpool is the only team um, with three wins out of three, and it's only been you know, three games, and there's already only one team that's um, got a perfect record so far. That just shows you how, like, every point matters. Um, even City dropped points um, already. So a couple of different inches on these penalties, and we could be talking about Liverpool and United both going three for three already. That's an entirely different um, you know, headline start to the season. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I think there's a couple of other things that I want to like talk about with uh, Menu in terms of maybe the play on the field. Just, um, I guess, I guess maybe just how they look offensively and what your thoughts are on that. Because I think during that Chelsea game, they looked incredibly efficient, and in terms of the way they pressed together and the way they it seemed like we're playing as a team and knew how to counterattack when they counterattack together um go out go out on the break it just kind of reminded me of those old um man U teams under sir alex ferguson and now it's and over the past three games the regression is real in terms of and maybe i'm reading a little bit too much into the results and because the last, the last two games ended resulted in a tie and then a loss. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but they look so good against that Chelsea, against that Chelsea team who's kind of proven that like they've recovered a little bit where they they're on four points now as well, or I I believe it's four points now as well. So it's, it's not like they were, a bad team, a bad team. Maybe they just didn't have it that game, but, and and maybe the result is a little skewed because of some of the close uh, misses that they had um, in that four, nothing loss to Man U. but man, you just look so good that I, I thought I was going to, I was seeing something different and maybe it was a bit of fool's gold. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree that the Chelsea result um, is not, as big of a result as it looks. Um, like you said, they missed some chances. It easily could have been three all. Um, they hit the post twice and they had a lot of other good chances. So to be honest, if you look at the whole run of the game, um, it wasn't a, anywhere close to like a blowout or a, a just completely dominated performance by Man United. But that being said, I kind of think where Chelsea and Man United are, are kind of similar right now. Um, because Chelsea didn't look that bad in that game. We looked good, but we didn't look 4-0 ahead good. So I think what's happening is just it's sort of balancing out over just a short amount of time already where we're still figuring some things out. Um, I think the the offense is still not quite working the way that Solskjaer is hoping. Um, I don't know his you know final intentions, for this season um, in terms of the way that we're going to line up and everything that he wants to achieve. But if it were me, I've noticed that without Lukaku already, um, the fluidity with the front three of Martial, Rashford, and James, it looks like is going to be maybe um, the one up there with them uh, for now, at least. Um, It looks like the fluidity of them just Swapping around positions is great on paper because it 
it confuses the opposition defense and they don't know maybe who's going to make a run where or who to mark and who to stay with. But at the same time, without that central focus of Lukaku, who also had his issues, don't get me wrong, but it seems like we're a little bit lost in that area of the pitch because all these guys are trying to get out wide and then James is maybe the only one who stays out wide, whereas Marshall and Rashford are naturally going to cut in to try to um, influence play that way and take a shot maybe or just combine with someone and then keep going. But it just looks like we're missing that bit of creativity to actually unlock the teams who are just going to sit back and and we don't have that person to play the final ball to sort of break through. Um, so I think that's an area of concern for me for sure, um, whereas the defense I do think looks a lot better than in recent seasons. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the defense looks a lot better, and I, I'll get to that in a little bit, but I think the offense in particular, like, I was just so impressed during that Chelsea game that I thought it was more of a sign of things to come, and it it just seems like in the past couple of games, they've lacked a little bit of creativity in some ways, which is kind of weird to say, especially with, like, the the three guys up front in Rashford, Martial, and James, where they do have like that seed and then the, their abilities to play um, in all three forward types of positions and being interchangeable, it kind of makes them super versatile. But in some ways, they are missing what Lukaku gave them in the middle of that um, up top um as a number nine type of forward where he was just like one of those guys that was in the box was a poacher was able to to hold up play relatively well uh for manu and basically being able to vary up the attack and not just playing counterattack or or playing just kind of these balls up top and just send it long type of thing and have like one of these speedy guys go after it, but just kind of give it to Lukaku, settle it down a little bit and maybe serve falls into the box where he could get his head on the end of it, which I just feel like man, you is maybe a little bit as weird as this sounds in terms of us talking about their versatility that they're a little bit one dimensional in some ways. Like, I, I completely agree. Like, I think a lot of teams are starting to figure out, like, oh, we don't have to worry too much about balls being served into the box for headers just because they don't have that aerial threat as much. It's like they might not know from a defensive perspective of an opposition team preparing. It's like, okay, we might not know who is going to be running in on us, but we know that they're not going to be building up through the middle meticulously and then, you know, going for a header or anything, you know, it's just going to be streaking with pace, um, trying to beat the lines with the long ball almost or on the dribble. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit, um, I think that's kind of where I'd be a little bit worried as a Man U fan in terms of them going forward, just it being a little yeah. bit more, a little one dimensional in terms of the way. Right. And, the and it's kind of like a contradiction in terms of like us talking about their versatility and then on the other hand talking about how they're one one dimensional but in terms of just the way they attack is 
is one dimensional. And I think that's kind of what I want to get across to the listeners that are listening is that it's more about the way they attack and in terms of them varying the uh, ways they attack. Um, and I think they lose a little bit of that without Lukaku. And I mean, you kind of look at some of the stats, like Daniel James, he's made three appearances. He already has two goals. Um, but he's, and, and honestly, the goal that he scored against Crystal Palace yeah. was, that was, really, a, that was a great goal. goal. I just felt like watching him play, he's a little too inconsistent for for me at least in terms of what he's put out there thus far in terms of just his crosses and I would say um, him lose I would say he loses the ball a little bit too much at this point but he does provide moments of brilliance with the goals that he's scored yeah I'm really excited about him Uh, obviously he's still young he's never been at a big club like this Um, so yeah it's going to take some time for him to get settled in and and get used to playing with this squad and playing under Solskjaer and in front of you know, 75,000 people. Um, but I like, I like his potential. And I, I think he should keep getting in the team and in the starting 11. Um, one thing about him in particular, he's been getting a lot of like uh, bad press almost because of his, they're, they're labeling him as a flop, a diver already. And yep. I just, I just like to point out that, in that Palace game, like, oh, he got taken. He down. literally got taken down, and like, I just think the issue with him is that he is so fast, and he's just gonna get this when he gets the slightest touch because he's moving so quickly. He's obviously just gonna get off balance and fall down. So I think maybe in a mentality sense, he's got to get used to the fact that he's just gonna get hit and knocked down, and not look at the ref every time, maybe. But like yeah. at the end of the day, like the guy's getting hit like he's not just diving around for the hell of it but he I think he is you know feeling a little bit like you know the victim but I think that's just a level of play that he's got to get used to now I I think one of the questions that I have to pose here is do you kind of and and I think this is a good natural point to bring up that Alexi Sanchez ended up getting loaned out today to Inter Milan breaking news Right. Doesn't seem like he's going to be, you know, contributing, have contributed much um, at his time at Old Trafford, at Man U. It doesn't seem yeah. like he's really, um, I think, provided what people thought he would provide at Man U. But I think... Not at all, nat- yeah. Right, right. But I think the natural question after that is, do you, are you a little bit worried about the depth um, offensively, if one of these guys, God forbid, gets injured or is off, is out for an extended period of time, because I mean Mason Greenwood has come on in every game um, thus far this season, and I'm not sure you want to be relying on an 18, 19 year old kid to be one of the first guys off the bench offensively, who. Like he's only he seventeen, had, actually, or so. seventeen, right? And if he <laughs> even had, better, like, right? And if he had like a pedigree of scoring goals in the Premier League, then I wouldn't really care about age. But this is his yeah. first year getting some run in the season, and there's not really 
any other more experienced guys that can really fill out up top or out on the wings. So is that is that some somewhat of a worry for the next three months of the season as they uh, try to kind of keep this thing together before uh, they can make some reinforcements during the winter transfer window? Yeah, it's definitely a worry. Um, as soon as I heard that Lukaku was definitely out, um, I started looking up uh, free agent strikers <laughs> who um, may have had Premier League experience. And I swear it was like every single one of them was had like Liverpool or City ties. It was like Sturridge, uh, Andy Carroll, uh, Valatelli. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Um, but I was just expecting us to get somebody in as like, just in case, backup, experience, don't have to worry about him, you know, proven. Um, and we clearly didn't do that yet. Um, I think one name I saw also is uh, Fernando Yarnente, who is, I think, still not with a club. So technically that could still happen. Um, but just a person like that, I could see being added to the books as like a placeholder, like a just in case kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a worry to be so thin. Uh, that being said, I mean Alexis has barely even been on the field in the past eight months to a year, so it's not like we were really any better off with him, um, at least recently. And the entire Alexis project was a huge flop, and it's it was just too bad. It, it was all kind of strange. It seemed like we just pushed him from city because they wanted to move for him and he was obviously so successful with Arsenal and and now you know just basically being I don't know if it was an injury that he was really just not fit because of that this whole time or he just really was not in the right mindset or whatever it was but it, he just wasn't the same player so I, I wish him the best and I hope he gets back to his old form but he is a little bit older now um, but anyways uh, I don't hate the idea of using our young players from the academy um, because we do have a really solid academy still and they, they have been successful at, at the younger level, at the, at the youth level. Um, obviously, it's not what you want to be relying on week in, week out, and a grueling season, um, you know, from August to May. But I I don't hate it. I would rather give the kids a chance as opposed to just doing what's been happening so much um, after Ferguson in terms of like buying big names just to sort of hold the fans over without really having a long-term strategy. Um, I'm talking like Falcao and like Di Maria and things like that. Like instead of just doing that and, and having that as a plan, I would, I would say let's maybe just get somebody as a backup, literally just to have a body, but not to like take over the starting spot from Rashford or Martial um, but just to have another another body in there. But yeah, let's let's give Greenwood and Chong and and those guys and uh, Gomez. Let's give them a chance. Why not? I mean, we're still in transition, um, so I think it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, totally. And I I mean, I think there's like a couple of other young players that I've been fairly impressed by, like McCominay's. Like I think really impressed me, and I think he's supplanted. Uh, Montage in the middle of the field in it that field. Like it, yeah, yeah, and in terms of him starting all three games thus far this season, so it seems like he's 
firmly in the squad. And, I mean, I think turning our attention defensively uh, to Man U, I think, what are your thoughts on the new additions and how they've looked in, in Wambasaka and Maguire and what what you think they've done to solidify, solidify the defense? And, I mean, there there's so many other questions I want to ask, like, do you feel like De Gea, like De Gea looked shaky in terms of the way he gave up that second goal to Crystal Palace? Uh, not that it was a fairly, not that it was an easy shot to save, but you would think, you know, peak De Gea would save a shot that's pretty much right at him. And then Luke Shaw going down, um, being, I think it was reported that he's going to be out for the next five to six weeks or so. So, what are your thoughts on Ashley Young kind of taking over that spot um, at left back, especially when maybe this defense still new, trying to get that chemistry together, and now there's another wrinkle in that uh, plan. Yeah, that's a that's not a good sign, um, especially with Shaw's unfortunate history of injuries. Um, but I'll start sort of at the beginning. Um, in terms of like Juan Basaka, um, it's funny there's a nice parallel there, hopefully in terms of potential prospects going forward. But I don't think I've been as excited for a young, talented Manchester United signing um, as I have been for Juan Basaka since Luke Shaw came to the club um, when he first arrived. Obviously, Shaw has had so many setbacks, um, but he continues to fight back and fight through it and show that he belongs you know, in, the, in the top tier as our starting left back. Um, but Juan Masaka just looks like such a class player. Um, it's one of those situations where, given our current performances and our past few years, our history, I'm honestly surprised that he came to United. I know I'm like, it feels wrong to say something like that as a United <laughs> fan, um, but I've got to be realistic, you know, and and the fact that he believed in the project and didn't want to go to whoever else was offering him money, um, that means a lot. And it's just it's really exciting to see him because he really is uh, just a hungry defender for shutting everything that he can get to down. And, you know, he just tackles left and right and just throws his legs out and he can't even get past him. So he's really exciting to watch, and I, I love that he's in the squad. Um, McGuire is a little bit trickier um, because he's not quite on the level of Wambasaka in terms of, like, skill, prospect. He's a lot older. Um, he's so solid. He's a great player, don't get me wrong, but it's just not the same level. I mean, People trying to compare him to Virgil Van Dyke, it's just, just not. There's no point in doing that. Yeah, obviously, Van Dyke is one of the best players in the world right now, barring position, even just like, and he ended up winning the the UEFA award, right? Yep, he won the UEFA yeah, Player so, of the Year I mean, award. So. There you go. That, that says it all. So people are just trying to make fun of United for spending so much money on McGuire when clearly he's not even in the same league as Van Dyke. That's not, I don't think anyone's really trying to argue that he is. But the point is, yes, we had to spend at a premium to get him, but that's okay. Like, I've been saying this for five years. Like, the market is ridiculous. People should stop getting so hung up over the fees because they just are what they are. Like, 
we just have to get over that. United has been so successful for decades. Like they've earned the ability to use their money. Like it's, I, I just think it's ridiculous to get hung up on, on the transfer fee because he is a quality player. It was a position that we needed desperately to, to bolster. And he was one of our main targets. And, you know, it just happened that we ended up having to pay a high price tag for him. And I don't see any problems with that. Um, and then De Gea, I'll touch on. Um, I love that he's been given the vice captaincy basically behind Young. So whenever Young's not on the pitch, De Gea will be wearing the armband, it sounds like. Um, and that's great because he really is the only person in the 11 who has been there through all of the the good times back at the end of the Fergie era and then through all of the turmoil since. Um, so that's really reassuring to have a, a real squad veteran now to, to give him that, that visible leadership. Um, that being said, he did have some hiccups and struggles at the end of last season. Um, and there are talks that he hasn't signed a new contract yet and they've been trying to negotiate. So maybe things behind the scenes aren't a hundred percent where they need to be right now. So maybe his head's still not a hundred percent in the right place. Um, but yeah, to be too harsh on him with that, um, Van Anholt, um, streamer basically, I mean, did you see how much power he got on that thing? Like, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I think they, should have probably saved it, but he's not a robot. Like, yeah, I don't think I think that's a little bit overdoing it to say, oh my god, De Gea is like, you know, having a howler again. Like, okay, let's. No, did we w- see what Adrian did uh, the <laughs> other week? No, it's uh, not. It's not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I. I mean, I've experienced my fair share of those <laughs> yeah. as, yeah, like, yeah, as a little bit. Yeah, not to tell you about Yeah, but it's just one of those things, I think, that Hay yeah, is, like, <laughs> probably considered a top three goalkeeper in the world yeah. right now. And for, for a long time, like, was most people's top one. Like, now, right. obviously, he's not there anymore, but he's very close still. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's where I think, people are kind of you know nitpicking and picking yeah. nits on all that type of stuff on on trying to figure out oh is he kind of losing it a little bit but I mean it goalies have that sometimes and sometimes they get unlucky like that I mean it was he ends up initially saving it kind of spins awkwardly and goes off of his back and goes into the net and like what are you going to do? But it just kind of yeah. sucked that it ended up happening within the last two minutes oh, yeah. of the game. Nice. So, <laughs> it's a yeah. nightmare scenario. Right, right. So I, I guess just in terms of, like, what your thoughts are on the outlook of how – because I didn't really get your your thoughts and none of the listeners have really gotten your thoughts in terms of the outlook you have for Menu this year. What are – and maybe – maybe the game so far you've got a little taste of everything so far um this season but has that kind of colored the way you thought um man you would end up at what type of season man you would have this season or is it just kind of none of these none of the results have really affected the way you thought um i I think that this is going to be another 
tough transitional season for United. Um, we're obviously in the Europa League, which no team really wants to be a part of in England, <laughs> it seems like, um, just because of the grueling travel schedule um, with a lot of the games on Thursdays ahead of weekend Premier League matches. It's just going to be tough no matter what, um, especially like we touched on earlier with without a lot of depth at the moment. Um, that could get that could get tough. So I think another target um, would be trying to. I'd say we we try to win the Europa League again. I I think that's honestly realistic um, to at least make it to the final and then give it a go to win it. Um, but in terms of the league. With Liverpool and City looking pretty much picking up right, right back where they left off, um, I think the best we could shoot for again is fourth. I would love to just put a goal out there of um, just finishing higher than we did last year. So I think fourth, fifth, I think that's doable. I I feel like fourth is what I'm going to go with officially, <laughs> but I'm a little hesitant to commit to that um but i think mm-hmm. i think we could do it i mean spurs look a little bit questionable with erickson maybe leaving um when he's not in the squad it looks like they can't do anything chelsea is very much in transition with a lot of new faces and lampard at the helm um arsenal a little inconsistent um a couple new players as well that are still trying to settle in so i think we're i think we could um you know we could hang with, with any of those teams and, and get in the top four again. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think Man U's in the mix of the top four, maybe not top two, but... Yeah, like, definitely not like top anywhere, two right now. Right, anywhere from three to seven, three to six, I could see them, like, it. W- like I think it would be a shock if they're anything below six. Um, For like, sure, yeah. If they're below six, then something kind of went wrong this year like injuries or whatever it did, whatever yeah. it had to but, but I mean, if they can improve to fifth to fourth, like I'm pretty sure you're, you'd be happy as a Man U fan yeah, just I mean, because it, of the, the transitions that they're making. Yeah. Even if we were in sixth again, I would be, I would be frustrated. So I think, I think fifth is at minimum what we have to do. And I think that's why I was saying I'd be more comfortable with fourth by far. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we got to see how the season plays out with injuries and, and players form and, and see how this, this squad does and how they handle this long campaign. Okay. So Tyler, I, I did want to get your thoughts on a couple of other teams besides Man U. And as a Liverpool fan, it has been far too much Man U talk for me at least to handle. <laughs> I always but... try to, give you as much as possible (laughs) but I feel I mean I feel like I talked about them somewhat expertly not being a Man U fan but you did talking about my team Liverpool like it's kind of been more of the same like you alluded to in terms of the top two with um, Man City and Liverpool um, taking those two top two spots it is there anything that you see out of Liverpool that's kind of particularly impressed you or has, is, is there like a particular worry that you kind of see thus far this season that maybe could be a question mark moving forward? 
Um, I'll start with the positives. Um, Mo Salah and um, Sadio Mane and Firmino, they've looked so strong just straight straight out of the gate uh, this year. I know last year a lot of people were really critical of Salah because he had a little bit of a slow start by his previous season standards, um, which were so astronomically high. But it was honestly pretty a pretty big statement um, for him, I think, to, to score that uh, brace against Arsenal. Um, because I think from his, you know, from maybe his doubter's perspective, they could have easily looked to his very busy season. I mean, he only got off, what was it, like a month or less? That he yeah, had it was about actual break, three weeks about or something? Three weeks or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And that clearly hasn't affected him. He just looked right back, you know, in, in the zone, in his time. So the fact, I mean, if you can keep that front three just firing in goals and looking so deadly, that's always going to be a strength. Um, the wingbacks, Trent and Robertson, look solid as ever still. Um, they're spending more time up outside of the, you know, attacking 18-yard box than they are even in their own half, which is pretty incredible to watch. But, um, yeah, I mean, you guys look so solid going forward. The obvious one concern I think you would have um, is losing Allison. Um, and as we saw, as I joked about earlier, but as we saw Adrian already making some mistakes, um, and the one led directly to the goal, or Ing, was it Danny Ing? Yep, to Danny Ing, yeah. the South um, So, I mean, the fact that you guys have still been winning and not, you know, you haven't kept a clean sheet with Adrian goal yet, right? No, have not. No, Let but... at least one goal. Yeah. But, I mean, it hasn't been a hasn't been a terrible catastrophe yet, but um, obviously that's just the point of weakness. Hopefully Allison is back for you guys relatively soon, but it looks like in the meantime, you know, Virgil and maybe Matip or Gomez, whoever's in there, um, can can still hold it down in front of them. How are you feeling? Yeah, and I, I mean, with them, I, I think, like, I think you kind of astutely pointed out what I – you know, what I've articulated in the past couple podcasts um, to start the season is, like, I'm kind of happy with how Liverpool's come out because of maybe you would think there's this um, slump, I guess. I don't know. After winning the uh, the UEFA Champions League, like, you would think maybe – oh, they feel content to maybe just sit on their laurels and just just be okay with where they're at. And they've kind of come out firing, especially that first game against Norwich. Like, I was extremely excited for them yeah. to kind of give it to a new team into the league and not take them lightly. Because I think maybe in years past, Liverpool teams would maybe take a team like that lightly and let them hang around in the game and yeah. maybe end up losing the game like one zero um, at the crap. end. Right at the end of the game, but and and even the games, these three games where they've let up one goal, the, like in years past, you would be worried, but 
it's kind of this strange feeling of being like, oh, that's okay. They just gave up that one goal. They're not going to give up another to like have a draw. It's going to like, they're going to be able to bring it home. And there's like this newfound confidence, especially with winning the Champions League that I feel in this team where I'm not really thinking too much about uh, mistakes um, in past years um, before last year. So it's kind of, it's, it's very reassuring. Like the only bad part or point of weakness, like you pointed out has been the lack of clean sheets, but that's kind of to be expected to have your goalkeeper leave starting goalkeeper, star goalkeeper, maybe considered one of the best goalkeepers in the world to leave um, 20 minutes into your first game in, in the season and have uh, Adrian come in and fill in somewhat admirably, especially with him being signed maybe three or three days or a week before the first, first fixture for, for the first game and to kind of get thrown into the fire like that, like you can't really expect too much um, out of that. And for him to fill in like that, it's been fairly good, except for that one big mistake against uh, Southampton with uh, Danny Ings. But other than that, like he's pretty much all you could really hope for in your backup goalkeeper. And like moving forward, like you're – I'm really expecting Liverpool to to hopefully win the league this year. Um, they're going to have like a huge fight against Man City to to try to hold them off. But like I think that's really their goal this year, especially with winning the Champions League last year. I feel like there's this kind of singular purpose to try to um, try to win that this specific title just because they haven't won one during the um, Premier League era. Yeah, I mean, that fact and that stat is still insane when you think about how close they've come uh, many years. Right. um, Yeah, yeah. It's just constant disappointment after disappointment. But just (laughs) just to, I feel like, I, I think there's just a sense of clarity for them in terms of the goal that they need to accomplish this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 100% what what the club should be aspiring to do. Um, one weakness in general for the for the team, I would say, is like their away form in general. Um, because I was just looking up some of the results from last year and. Um, it seems like you guys have like six or seven draws or losses away compared to only like two at home. Um, and what made me think about that was actually the course of the Southampton game. It wasn't really a clear Liverpool win for much of that game. It was pretty hard fought and back and forth. And it, that was a tough grind of a win that you guys got out of that, to be honest. Um, and so I think if you guys can turn those those draws away into wins this year, then it, it should be yours. Um, yeah. But that's going to be definitely something to focus on. 
Right. And I think there's other like mitigating factors. They had the UEFA Super Cup earlier in the week. So they're playing on two or three days. I think it was True. three days yeah. rest. So that that was like one of the factors. So like I was fairly okay. But if you're going to be in the Champions League, you know, you got to. Right, right. Exactly. Get used to that. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was okay with the way they played just early on in the year and trying to adjust to that schedule again, especially coming off of the summer. But yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the big things, trying to improve on the away record and, and really turning the, some of those draws that were against teams that really have no business like being in the game with Liverpool and where Liverpool should pretty much dominate these teams. They're just kind of letting them stay in and, there's times when Liverpool does kind of maybe get too, or is is maybe too content with possession of the ball instead of, and letting the other team sit back in their defensive half and maybe just being just passing around them, kind of passing through the back line and then going back again. And I think there needs to be uh, that. I would say directness in their attack and what and how they want to play, um, especially when they are playing against teams that are just sitting back against them. And I think that's what a lot of teams that get to this level of football and this type of level where you see a Man City team kind of know different ways to slice up a defense regardless of how it's set up. Um, And they're able to figure out and unlock certain passes where they look effective in dissecting these defenses. And I think that's just the next natural step that Liverpool's going to have to take in terms of solidifying themselves as one of the best teams in Europe. Um, And, I think if they're able to do that, then I think they're going to be able to consistently have results um, that they'll be really happy with in the Champions League and in the Premier League. Yeah, it it could be a historic season for you guys. Yeah, and I think that it's going to be a fair... I think that's like one of the really exciting things about this season that it's just really kind of carried over from last season. And maybe we could shift gears here and talk about Man City a little bit and like um, all the and how they've looked. And they've looked fairly good this season too. They've had they had that one tough draw against Tottenham um, where they were completely dominant against top Tottenham and then they had that unfortunate VAR call. And maybe I could get some of your thoughts on VAR and use this as a catalyst. Um, and I'm sure you saw what ended up happening during that game. And this is maybe a little bit of rehash for listeners from last, from last week, listening to my podcast with Joe, but what are, what are what's your take in general about VAR and what your thoughts are and how it's been implemented thus far in the Premier League and the way, um, what, like the way different fans have reacted to it and how you feel like it's played a role in the Premier League so far this season. Yeah, so uh, first touching on City in general, um, I think they look 
very strong. Uh, that was, like you said, a very tough game to not get all three points for them against Spurs. But um, I think they look like the team to beat um, for the Premier League again. I totally um, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree so with that. I think that's going to go down to the wire again, which is great as a fan of the Premier League in general. Um, it's going to be really exciting, I think, to watch Liverpool and City duke it out for that top spot again. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about City if you want um, in a bit, but to touch on um, the VAR, that call specifically, um, obviously any City fan you talk to is going to be livid about that because of the way that the emotions, the last second winner, you know, that it's just such a moment. Um, and then to have it taken away by something so slight and minuscule, it's obviously going to, like, if that happened to Liverpool, if that happened to United, we would be, you know, up in arms about it. It would be, it would be a mess. Like, if that was your team, that's the worst thing ever. It's like the worst way to lose out on a last second winner. Um, but that being said, I still think it was the right call. And that's only because of the new adaptation of the handball rule, which is separate from VAR in general, um, by the way. So that's something to keep in mind for fans who are upset with VAR. Um, although VAR allowed us to see that, it wasn't that part of the rule. It was also the new implementation of any goal or build up to a goal that involves the arm, whether incidental or intentional, uh, is not allowed. So by the letter of the law, that goal was not allowed. Um, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with having a set of rules that we stick with um, that try to make the game more more accountable and more on the letter of the law. I'm fine with that. Um, what I what has been bothering me so far is the interpretation that still seems to be going inconsistently um, when it comes to penalty calls for contact and fouls in the box. That is something that's not as black and white as, oh, this ball touched Laporte's arm there and then went into the path of Jesus. Therefore, we have to bring that back. That's something that we saw. You know, that's a fact. But it seems like with a couple of situations with Man United um, and I believe Harry Kane against uh, Newcastle it was, um, there were what looked to me on several replays very clear contact that it's another one of those things where it's like anywhere else on the field, that's going to be a foul. Um, and it was on Martial, I believe, in the United game. But it seems like they've set a precedent in the review that it has to be such a completely egregious error by the rest on the field to not to, to overturn it. And that's, I think that's just a, a bit too arbitrary for my liking um, because the whole point of VAR is to take away the questionable. I mean, we have the 
we have the lines on the field that for offside and you know the freeze frame for the arm and everything like it i i'm totally fine with going with the absolute fact as best we can um and i think they've done a good job of not ruining the flow of play that much i know i said the the momentum and the celebrations for the city that that is another situation that that was pretty hard to take but um the right, interpretations yeah. of the fouls, it's, I don't like the way that's been done and handled so far. I think they need yeah. to clear up their criteria a bit and get on the same page. I think the conversation I had with Joe last week was the similar one we're having this week, but yeah. I think it was more, I think this week kind of illuminated a couple more things to me, specifically watching that Man U game, watching a couple of the calls or the non-calls that were, yeah. I, I, who was the ref? I can't remember, but it didn't seem like he was having a great day, honestly, yeah. in terms of some of the calls that he made. And then since it wasn't a clear, egregious mistake, uh, the VAR didn't overturn what the ref's decision was. And that kind of maybe compounded what it, compounded the situation in itself in terms of not making the right call overall, but trying to get into this arbitrary language slash gray area of, well, is it clear and obviously egregious that the decision on the field that the ref made was wrong? And then once you get into that type of territory, it's this arbitrary, like, you're implementing rules, uh, the rules of VAR into the game instead of actually governing the game by the letter of the law. And that, yeah. I think, kind of makes this implementation of VAR convoluted um, for some fans in terms of like, oh, that that's clearly a foul. Like, why don't they just replay that back? And I think we kind of see like, parallels to this in like the NFL um, mm-hmm. in terms of like their the way like maybe a couple years back their controversy about what's a catch what's not a catch and yeah. all that type of stuff and, and challenges and like challenge that. flags and stuff like that and what that does to the game and I mean I think I had to push back a little bit in terms of like the flow of the game and I know you yeah. said that it doesn't disrupt it that much, but I think at times during some of, and, and this is just like a little bit of a pushback, but I think it's yeah. at times it's been kind of like what's going on here. Like, like <laughs> it's like a clear, it, it's pretty clear what just happened. Um, like I think that I was watching the um, Arsenal Liverpool game and they were like, they paused like a corner kick for, I kid you not, probably like a minute and a half or so, um, trying to determine whether or not there was a red card on the field because mm. someone tripped someone and, and VAR was trying to, and like the players are smiling, like kind of mockingly um, because like they know like that wasn't a red card. And I was just like, can you just get on with the game? at that point yeah. like it and i think that's where maybe like if var just has free reign over everything 
in, in terms of analyzing everything, which they don't at this point. But if it right. ever gets to that point, then I think it could kind of maybe ruin some of the essence of what football actually is in terms of having that free-flowing nature and then adding, like, God forbid, 15 minutes of added time. Like, you know what I mean? It can get yeah, it can get pretty ridiculous. bad at that point. But, I mean, overall, I think the system is working. It's going to take some time to get used to, I think, for a lot of fans. And I think, you know, the fans in, of La Liga and all the other teams, all the other leagues across Europe have kind of gotten used to how VAR has been implemented, same with the MLS, and, and you kind of work. In the World Cup. <laughs> right, in the World Cup. Yeah. And then and you work within the confines of what the new normal is now. And I think that's where it's going. It, and, and I think overall it makes the game better. You're not going to ever have controversies like uh, the hand of God, like Maradona right. and him scoring a goal. Like that's never going to ever happen again. And while that's like an iconic moment, it was the wrong call. So like, yeah. right. so like things like that won't ever happen, which I'm entirely happy about. So yeah. overall, I think we have fairly similar thoughts on what VAR is, but maybe getting back to what uh, Man City has kind of looked like, I think we've kind of articulated like, for me, and maybe this is me being biased because Kevin De Bruyne is on my on my fantasy team, and I've been monitoring monitoring him closely because I think he's he's been my captain the past like two weeks or so. So like I've been kind of hoping that he has piles up assists and uh, goals, but like for me, he's kind and it's kind of crazy to think that City could get better than what they showed last year. But I think he's really the key to maybe um, them taking the next step in the Champions League and competing there. Because when he's on the field, he's a really special player in terms of the, in, in terms of his vision and what he sees uh, for that next pass and being able to serve up balls perfectly to Raheem Sterling, Sergio Aguero up top. And, they were missing, I would say, a little bit of that last year. Not that they were lacking in creativity, but just sometimes the final ball was maybe lacking a tiny bit for City, and they didn't really run into that problem that much. Um, I think that's possibly the one thing that uh, De Bruyne provides. And maybe, I think, defensively, I like... If if I had to nitpick somewhere, I would say that the defense could possibly get worrying in some in some instances. Like that second center back next to um, Laporte, who they decide to go with is it Odomendi? Is it John Stones? Like who are they actually going with there um, at center and making that center back pairing solid? So. That's just kind of my two cents on what Man City looks like. Yeah, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, I, I've never, he's probably the only Manchester City player I've ever just straight up admired. I love watching that guy. I can't even lie. He's one of the best players in the world uh, of this generation. It just, he's so good on the ball. He can shoot, he can 
put in amazing crosses. He can thread balls through on the ground. He can dribble a little bit around. Like, it's just, my gosh, I could just watch him. Um, and the scary thing about City last year is that he only logged about 900 minutes, so an average of, what, like 10 games? Yeah, I think it was about last year. a fourth of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's scary as as an opposition um, team because now that he's back and they've gotten so good over the past few years, and then even without him last year, they did so well domestically. Um, I just think if they keep their squad healthy, um, obviously Sané is out. Um, Jesus now sounds like he picked up an injury, but uh, they're so deep and they've got such quality. It's, it's just it's not even fair. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, it really isn't fair um, at all, just like looking at the team. And I think I <laughs> agree with you from the, the point that you made earlier in terms of City being the team to beat. Like as a Liverpool fan, as happy of a Liverpool fan as I am, as passionate as I am as a Liverpool fan, um, like I don't think I'm that biased in saying that that there's and, and maybe there's like not that big of a gap between Liverpool and City, but I just think City just has a little bit a little bit more depth in what they yeah. have. Um, in quality, and I think that's just the difference between them. The top end players, if you you play the top end guys, like I think Liverpool can compete, but it's where over the co- course of a year the depth can kind of play a role, and I think City has an advantage there. Yeah, that's nice unbiased uh, opinion there, Kev. I'm proud of you. <laughs> glad I glad I can make you proud, Tyler. Um, but I mean, my unbiased opinions. You, you guys, you guys are going to need a result against them in the league, uh, probably both times if if you want to hold them off this year because they, what they beat you and then you guys tied tied in the two exactly. meetups, two yeah. meetings last year. Yeah, so I mean that there's a, a key area right there that if that goes the other way, then you know that's something I think you guys need to focus on, obviously. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, we are running out of time, Tyler, but the there's, like, a couple more things that I want to talk about. We didn't even touch on, on our reactions to Champions League, which we'll do at the very end. But one of, the, one of the questions that I did want to ask about the Premier League in general is, is there, is there like, a, a thing that's happened this season that surprised you? Any, any like, interesting stories that you've kind of followed that you're just like, oh, that's interesting? Um, like, I mean, for me, I think, like, one of the cool stories is, like, Timu Puki, who's, uh, like, I think tied for goals with five in the league right now. Um, yeah leading the league in goals with newly promoted Norwich City. Like, I think that's a really cool story to kind of see them progress. And, like, the like Sheffield United's already at four points right now, early on in the season, but they've been able to get results um, early on. You know, Villa got a win uh, last week against Everton 2-0. They ended up looking really solid. Like, they have some... It's really interesting players than Jack Realish. So, like, 
I, I mean, like the newly promoted teams look fairly good in terms of them adjusting to Premier League play. Um, and like, I think like the surprising, like the surprising thing is for me, like to see at the bottom of the table, Watford, who people I think yeah. expected to be in the top, I would say eight and maybe make a run, make a run for one of those European spots in the top six. They have started the season 0-3, losing all three games and scoring one goal this year. Um, so it's kind of, and, and it's not like they've had, like, they haven't played any of the traditional top six big teams yet. Um, they've played, uh, Brighton Hove, they lost three zero, they lost one zip to Everton, and then they lost three, one to West Ham. So I think that's like another fairly surprising development thus far this season. Um, but other than that, it, there hasn't been like any huge huge surprises like it's it looks like the top six are gonna start separating themselves in probably the next i would say five to ten weeks or so yeah definitely that's when things will really start to shake out and then things will start to even out based on you know overall quality of the squads um yeah i completely agree with with pookie um Looking really sharp. Uh, that's definitely going to be exciting to watch because um, they're not afraid to go attack a team, um, whoever they're playing. Um, and Watford, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, very surprising to see them just completely winless after three decent fixtures. Um, will be interesting to see if their their luck changes or if they are going to be fighting this rele- relegation battle this year. Um, Newcastle also looking rough. They, after getting Almiron and um, Joe Ellington, I really mm-hmm. had some higher hopes for them in preseason than what they've shown so far. Um, but then they go and beat Spurs. So, um, yeah, I know. So yeah, I know. They could, they could go either way, I guess. And I think it's like interesting that we've had some of these like surprising results like Tottenham ends up tying Man City and we're like oh wow maybe they can kind of challenge for the league and then they kind of fall on their face and lose to to Newcastle and that kind of just makes this Premier League season really interesting and and I think there's there's a lot of interesting developments and storylines going on just because I think a lot of people think it's going to just be the traditional top six, and maybe that's that's the case towards the end of the year. But teams like Man U and teams like Chelsea that are traditionally in that top six, and maybe you could even throw Arsenal in there too, they're kind of going through these transitional phases with bringing in a lot of new faces that aren't familiar to their teams and trying to build that chemistry over the course of the year and how that develops is going to be one of the more fascinating, I would say, uh, storylines just because they do have high expectations at clubs like that. And for them to try to coalesce very quickly and try to develop that chemistry very quickly in order to meet those expectations are is is going to be a challenge i think for 
I would say Chelsea just because of how young that team is and not having many, I would say, any real veterans to really rely on is, I think, going to be a little bit tougher for them. And and we haven't really even talked about our boy Pulisic, who's who's like the future of U.S. soccer. And he's kind of looked like he belongs in terms of some of the and like he'll drift in and out of games, but he's provided an assist um, in one of the games. He looked good in the UEFA Super Cup against Liverpool, um, providing an assist there. And I, I mean, even a player like Mason Mount on Chelsea, who I think has looked extremely really good for them, Mount. for him. Yeah. Um, like, he's been fun to watch so far. And I think he has been one of those key players for Chelsea that, and I think he was the best player for Derby County last year in terms of um, what they provided. And I think Lampard saw that firsthand. Yeah. And and that was kind of the reason why he's, like, entrusted him um, with a lot of the uh, creative attacking role type of things that um, he's given Mount um, in that Chelsea uh, lineup. Yeah, I hope Mount uh, keeps his starting spot because I'm really intrigued by the partnership between Mount and Pulisic, and I feel like they are both really exciting players to watch this season. And given the stage and the chance and the and the confidence by Lampard, I think they could really have breakout years. Um, the other guy I wanted, and you're uh, invested in in Mason Mount yeah. in, oh, yeah. on your fantasy team. You know it. I, I like I like where he's going. Um, exactly. The other guy I want to shout out as a one to watch um, for I guess both fantasy and real life is um, Moise Keane for Everton coming in from Juventus. Um, he hasn't started yet, um, but I think maybe next week he might finally get the nod, um, or at least I think he should because this kid he's only like 19, very exciting player. Um, if he gets settled, confident, I think he could really tear up some some teams in the Premier League. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Totally. And, I, I mean, one team, I think, and Leicester's sitting in fourth right now, I would not be surprised if they challenge for a top six spot this year. Um, yeah. And, like, I, I just think Leicester and, – and this is the beauty of a team like Leicester – who ends up winning the league, what, a couple years, two, was it three years ago now? Three or four uh, years ago now. Three or four years, which is kind yeah. of crazy to think about. Yeah. But this is a beauty of a team like this, who was promoted a couple of years before that, like, why don't we say six years ago? Now they've really established themselves as one of the mainstays in the Premier League. And yeah. it's, and, and like, if you jumped in, on the Premier League five years ago, you would just kind of be like, oh, yeah, Leicester is, like, one of the best teams in the league. Or, right. or one of the, And it was just kind of ridiculous to think about if you've been a, a Premier League fan for a longer bit, bit of time and just knowing, under, knowing and understanding history. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to continue their streak. They have a lot of, like, really young yeah, they were really mixed solid with, midfield. Right, mixed with, like, veterans. Like, you could kind of uh, throw in, like, James Madison, who's, like, one of the young guys that... Kalen Mon. 
Tillamont. Uh, who else is there? I think there's uh, Harvey Barnes. Harvey Barnes as well. So there's a lot of like really interesting young talent paired with uh, Jamie Barty, who's still doing his thing up top. Yeah. So Schmeichel, who who yeah. made a key save in that in that game um, yeah. that they had this past weekend. Um, against um, Sheffield United. So I I just think that, like, those are, like, some of the interesting stories that, like, I wanted to point out because I think we do a good job of focusing in on, obviously, our teams in Man U and, and Liverpool. Yeah. But we are we are fans of, of the Premier League in general and love watching um, other other teams play football. And it's kind of cool to, to see teams like Leicester kind of cement their – um, legacy in the Premier League. So just wanted to give them a quick shout out. And Definitely. I think I think this is a good transition to and I don't want to close out the podcast yet with the Champions League, but I think this is a good transition to talk about our fantasy Premier League teams. And Tyler, Boy. I think specifically I wanted to uh, say I have had a better start to this year. I am not in dead last in our league this year, so <laughs> that is definitely a step in the pos- in a positive direction. So, and I and I was actually wasn't I like in the top three or something? You were like the, second. Last, second. I was in first last week. Not yeah, in I was seventh. In, yeah, I was in second last week. At, you at were second. in third. You're in third. I was in third last week and now I'm yeah. in eighth or something like that. So, yeah. um, yeah, but we're all bunched together. Um, yeah. a lot of, a lot of people that I've been talking to have been saying that it's been like a fairly tough start to, um, the fantasy premier league season. And there's not a lot of consistency in terms of knowing who's going to be playing and trying to figure out like where the goals are coming from and trying to find the inefficiencies. It seems like we brought up Timu Puki, who's been, like, the guy that's been, like, the hot ad uh, for a lot of teams. Not on my team, so maybe I'm doing something wrong. But is there is there something that you've kind of noticed in maybe, like, an inefficiency or maybe hopefully you want to give those secrets away so I can kind of copy them? But <laughs> is there do you feel like there's a – inefficiency you've kind of exploited maybe in formation or kind of like sticking with the cat one guy as your captain um or making these differential types of picks because it, i think it's interesting before i kick it off to you um in that when we first chose our teams we we're just kind of like we usually don't reveal our teams to each other until no. like a- after the season starts but yeah. it was actually hilarious that we ended up having what was it, eleven out of the fifteen players? Yeah, that it was were the like same? eleven or twelve of fifteen that were exactly the same. <laughs> Which is actually that's hilarious. never think, happened. Yeah, kind of ridiculous. So over like six years we've been doing this. Six, yeah, seven so, years. Yeah, so yeah, six or seven years. So, so it's kind of funny that we ended up thinking along the same lines um, in that way. But has there been a player that you've been happy, one, that you've been happy to have, and two, that maybe you're a little bit disappointed that you selected? Um, yeah, for sure. I'm 
I'm so happy that I stuck with Salah and De Bruyne so far this this year. Um, Same with me. Right, exactly. You can relate. Um, yeah. Because, like I said earlier, um, you know, last season Salah was off to a slow start, and a lot of people got rid of him and didn't stick with him. But then he ended up still being the highest scoring fantasy player of the whole of the whole league. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that he's going to put up some good numbers again. Um, and then De Bruyne, I think, was just priced so low because injury. He yeah, barely featured last year, and maybe there was some question mark about, you know, is he going to be starting every game now? Because they just weren't sure. They didn't have as much data last season to pull from. So, I mean, I think you have got to buy Kevin De Bruyne if you don't have him. Like, that is a must-have if I've ever seen one at such a low price um, getting involved. He's already got four assists this season, and, like, we're only three games in. Um, So I think that's obvious. What I will say, though, is that the defense so far, a lot of people are saying, because there haven't been a lot of clean sheets, just by coincidence, pretty much, I think, um, people are saying, you know, oh, the premium defenders aren't worth it, abandoned ship. I think that's a little ridiculous, because obviously these teams are going to settle down, and over the course of 38 games, Liverpool City are still going to grab tons of clean sheets. It's just been a little hectic at the beginning. Um, so I, I don't think you should just completely abandon ship and, and just and just forget about them. So that's one word of warning. And Mason Mount, like you said earlier, I think he's a great addition at a, at a low price, and he looks very exciting going forward. Yeah, totally. And I think like that, I think I was like reading a Reddit post and like, I mean, I know a couple of friends have been like, uh, moderate monitoring the uh, Reddit post on fantasy premier league. And it's really interesting to kind of hear different opinions and maybe see some of the group think of people selecting some of the, some of those similar types of players but I think one of the things, one of the more interesting posts that I read was a post where uh, a guy kind of compared his team that he started off with and the amount of points that he ended up um, getting by making all the changes and switches throughout the season. And he would have actually scored more points if he just kept his original team instead of making all the changes that he made throughout the season. So maybe you shouldn't just, maybe I think, I think it's a little early to be panicking on, on some of the moves that people make, but I think there are definitely smart uh, moves that you can make in terms of taking advantage of price hikes and things like that. And price rises. I would say, definitely think more long-term, but if you think you've identified, you know, players that are going to be scoring the most points over even a, a run of 10 weeks to say, for example, then might as well just go for it with the, with the thought that you're going to keep them for more than just one week, I'll say, because you only get one free transfer every week. So you hear that, story like you just told time time again about over tinkering, over transferring. Just get some guys that'll just rack up points 
over time and don't worry about, you know, Josh King hitting a hat trick and you don't have him, so then you need him. That's not really the long strategy that I think it leads to success in this game. Yep, and I think that's more of a reactive strategy from a lot right. of people. A lot of people are like, oh, he scored three goals in the last game. Who And you look at his kind of expected goals, and that's like an advanced statistic that a lot of like soccer geeks have been kind of looking towards now and maybe his expected goals was like 1.2 but he ended up scoring three goals or whatever like I I think it and it ends up being a little bit kind of like you you kind of see like this um maybe this statistical anomaly of him scoring a hat trick because he wasn't expected to score that. So it's really important to kind of keep that in mind and figure out um, in the long term and whether or not he's going to be able to consistently get results for you. So, Tyler, let's move on to the Champions League draw. What were your initial thoughts on who was drawn, what the groups were like, any – and I have my thoughts on Liverpool and what – what they have but I think the first thing that I needed to address and talk about was your guy your man Eric Cantona who <laughs> former Man U guy uh player Man U legend um he accepted the UEFA President's Award today as they were announcing the draw they they give out awards and things like that and Virgil van Dijk ended up winning uh the UEFA Player of the Year I think Lucy Bronze ended up winning that for for the females, and then um, there were there were a couple of different awards that were given out. But Eric Cantona won the UEFA Presidents Award, and he gave this very weird speech. Um, and I just feel like I need to take thirty seconds of people's time <laughs> to read out quote by quote what Cantona said. I'm not going to be able to follow to to be able to. Uh, display the accent that he has, but I think the ridiculousness will get will get through um, through his words that he spoke. So he said, as he's quoting William Shakespeare's King Lear, really weird place to. I, I, I never thought I would utter of course, those words. Start with King Lear on, on this podcast, but it was as flies to wanton boys. Are we to the gods? They kill us for their sport. And then he goes, soon the science will not only be able to slow down the aging of the cells, soon the science will fix the cells to the state, and so we will become eternal. Only accidents, crimes, wars will still kill us, but unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. Thank you. So he just thinks he can say I love football at I, at the end of any statement, and it just makes it okay. Which what a and, legend, right? And people were just kind of sitting in the crowd, like being like, "What the fuck did this guy just what say?" What just happened? Right. So there's that. So you got a little bit of everything. Cantona, he's right. the he's the original Ibrahimovic. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, like, before <laughs> the social media age, like, if they saw this guy 
play, like the amount of passion he had, almost oh, yeah. kind of towing the line between passion and yeah. like way too aggressive to the point where I he's mean like, <laughs> yeah, like that celebration of the famous chip goal where he just stands there with his pop collar and just stares around the stadium. Like I'll never forget that image. Yeah, so <laughs> I think people him. would just get like. Like, I, I feel like Ibra kind of models his maybe public persona slash talk after Cantona because Cantona is the original uh, <laughs> god, as you may say. Um, right. But anyways, what, <laughs> like, I don't know how it's going to transition to the Champions League draw. But anyways, I'm going to try to do it. Champions League draw, what were your initial thoughts on, like, the groups and maybe what you think is the toughest group and um, your thoughts on maybe uh, how the English teams are going to do in terms of trying to get out of their groups. First thing I noticed, and I have to be honest, this is very difficult for me in general because no, no man, United <laughs> is in the Europa League. Um, but the first thing I noticed, because, you know, I haven't really been – that intimately like supporting the Champions League lately for some reason. I'll, I'll let you guys figure that out. I don't want to say it out loud. Um, but it looks like a lot of these uh, matchups we saw last year, which I thought was interesting. Just the sort of way that it all fell into place. I was like, it's Liverpool, Napoli. Didn't City go up against Shakhtar also last year? And Yep. Um, Juve and Atletico and uh, Barca, Dortmund. Yep. And uh, I was just like, well, this is kind of like deja vu. But um, I guess the the quality of the teams is still the same, and that's how they, they ended up with the different rules that they have in place with the countries and different TV rights and all that. But um, So it'll be good to see if, if teams get some revenge on their, on their opponents from last year. Um, but, yeah, everybody's talking about Group F, which is Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, Inter Milan, and this biggest strength of them all, Slavia Praha. Yep, <laughs> our boys over there. Right? Slavia I mean, Praha. yeah. Um, one of my friends from, from being over there this summer, he's a huge Slavia fan, so I'm sure he's excited. Um, but that's clearly looking like the, the toughest group. Um, I think Chelsea and City are probably going to give it a run. City, no question. I think City is already into the knockout stage. I mean, that's, they got yeah. kind of ridiculous. I mean, lucky with yeah. Bektar, Zagreb, and Atalanta. Chelsea is going to have a little bit more work to do with Ajax being so strong last year, and then Valencia always solid. Um, but I think they, they're they going to be okay. Tottenham, probably okay. Liverpool should be fine. So... <laughs> If all goes to plan, I think all the English teams make it through. Um, but yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with uh, with F, which is Barcelona, Dortmund, Inter, with Group D, Juve, Atletico, Bayer, Leverkusen. Even Group A with PSG, Real, and Galatasaray could be a little tricky for those teams. So should be exciting. I'm, I'm happy that it's back, although I'm sad that we're still not in it and have Manchester United, but... <laughs> Uh, maybe next year. 
<laughs> I just wanted you to talk about the Champions League draws. Yeah, this is, this just, is my plan all along. Yeah, this is my plan all along. And that's how we end it. Like, I right. mean, just, just to kind of, like, drive the knife in a little bit deeper. But, I mean, I think the, I think the English teams have um, fairly easy draws and fairly easy groups to kind of get through to the knockout stages. I'd be pretty actually surprised. frustrating looking at Man City's group. That's kind of... Yeah. Makes me upset. <laughs> yeah. It, like, I feel like they're like, all right, Pep, you've won every single title you you can with Man City except for this one title. Um, right. We're going to try to give you the best possible <laughs> chance. Not that I think that uh, UEFA or whatever is a, a corrupt organization in any any way possible, but it's just, I think, you know, like, here, we're going to throw Man City a bone here. If there's any such thing as rigging the pots and things like that, <laughs> rigging the draw. But I mean, I mean, you guys I, have a pretty easy group too. To be fair, yeah, yeah. But, so. I think I think Liverpool has a fairly easy group. Like, I wouldn't be, I would be shocked if they didn't make it through. Um, yeah. In their group, so like, I think overall, like the favorites are gonna make it through. I don't really like Group G is a, a like who's like who knows what's gonna happen in it yeah. seems like that's the most even group and across the board um but other than group g it seems like there's a fairly like easy kind of path for the group favorites and maybe you'll point out group f barca dortmund yeah. Inter. like you you choose two out of those three but other I'll than which two are coming out of that group i'm taking barca dortmund but you know Maybe your boy Alexi Sanchez does something at Inter. I'm gonna go Barca Inter. <laughs> <laughs> Have faith, having faith in Alexi Sanchez. Uh, and Big Rom. Exactly. So it, it's it's kind of interesting how those two Man guys end up finding <laughs> right end up finding themselves over there. Um, so yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I think the one interesting matchup uh, before maybe we close out this podcast is the Juventus Atletico matchup and I think it's that kind of old versus new guard um between uh Jao Felix and Cristiano Ronaldo um of oh, yeah. Portugal in terms of True. them passing the torch maybe I didn't uh, think does, about that does Cristiano pass the torch on or and does Jao Felix just end up taking it I think that's going to be a really cool like oh, here's this old generation uh, to new generation. And we'll see what ends up happening um, in that matchup. But I'm really excited for the Champions League back, to be back. And I'm hoping Liverpool can repeat. Um, it's going to be extremely difficult. This competition is probably the most uh, difficult competition in the world in terms of just quality yeah. of teams. So... I'm really excited for it to be back, and it's like Christmas every uh, year when, uh, or every year when the Champions League final ends up happening in May, June, late May, June uh, during that time. So I'm really excited uh, for that. Tyler, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Anything else that you wanted to talk about or plug? Don't forget about uh. Don't forget about the big news tomorrow, which would be Friday, 
Um, the Europa League draw. <laughs> Can't forget very, about that. Very um, important. That was definitely on the yeah. one, the top one of the top things that I wanted to follow for tomorrow. I, yeah, Europa that was League a bullet draw. point there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not I only think, is United in there, we dragged Arsenal and Wolves along with us. So could be some uh could be some excitement. I don't know. We'll see. Probably just more misery on Thursday nights. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what ends up happening. And I think I think Man U to kind of close it out is I think Man U ends up doing fairly well in that competition, but I think early on they'll give some of the their young guys um chances to play so that they could give uh their more normal rotation guys that'll play in the Premier League uh, some rest so they, they're not having to go back-to-back uh, during those Thursday-Saturday, Thursday-Sunday type of games um, yeah, and having to work that out. So I think it'll work out uh, for Menu, and I'm excited to see what they do in terms of growing as a team uh, with some of the young players that they do have. Um, so other than that, Tyler, thanks for coming on. Uh, to the podcast and I'm always happy to have you Um, and um, thanks for listening guys Um, and if you guys have any requests that you want to talk about any topics just comment below on uh, our post and send in send in requests about topics Uh, football season's coming up so we'll be talking about that we'll be breaking that down just drafting my fantasy team. So super excited about that. And boy, do I have some really interesting fantasy story, uh, fantasy uh, football stories uh, regarding that league. Uh, can't decide on a draft time. Why don't we switch it an hour before the draft? Oh my God. Oh Lord. Oh man. What a headache. And, but drafting my team, uh, do the Tennessee Titans, Tyler, have life. Now that Andrew Luck has retired, it's possible. <laughs> as long as Mariota doesn't also retire now. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, not bad. Ryan Tannehill's not <laughs> terrible. Yeah. All right. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, Tyler, thanks again for coming on, taking way too much of your time, but thanks for being generous with it. And uh, if those, if you guys uh, like the podcast, please like it on iTunes and subscribe, comment, do all those things, share whatever you guys want to do. Uh, Thanks again. And we will see you guys next week. I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough